Hello, everybody, and welcome, welcome, welcome to the latest edition of the Real Steamy Podcast. I am your host, Jarvis All of East Metro Steam Partnership. We're excited to be here. We have a fantastic guest. You know, we don't even like to, I don't even like to call them guests because there's sometimes when, uh, when, you, when there's family, you know, you, you don't like to call them guests when they, when they come into your house, but uh, they are guests on our show today. We're excited to have Oregon Ask be a part of our show today. We have uh, Bethany, not Thramer, but Tramer. We've been establishing that on her name and Juan Soto. We are excited because they've partnered with us. Everybody give them a big round of applause. They have been partnering with us for some time. They've been doing some really cool things and we are excited to have them both on the show. And Bethany, you, you, you have you have an extra guest here on the show joining us today. Is that is that correct? Yes, this is my youngest son, Bertram, who's nine months old, and he will probably be joining us off and on throughout the show. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, my kids would think you're the coolest mom ever to name him Bertram uh, because they love uh, the show Jesse on the Disney Channel, and the butler on there is named Bertram. And they think it's the coolest thing in the world. So uh, Bertram was in a, he was on the sing-along that Disney Channel just had. And my daughter's like, oh, look, it's Bertram, it's Bertram. Like they just love Bertram as if he's the coolest person in the world. So my daughter would love you uh, with having Bertram hanging out with us. Uh, Juan, you got any other guests you want you have hanging out with us? Any? No, I do have a dog uh, downstairs, but we'll try to do our best to kind of keep him, uh, keep him quiet, and make sure that it doesn't intrude on us too much. Because uh, you know, dogs can be a bit uh, disruptive. What kind of what kind of dog you got? Uh, I don't really know. He's a little small dog. I want to say the breed is like an Affenpinscher. I think I'm saying that correctly. Some kind of mix like that. Um, and uh, yeah, but other than that, I don't know much sort of about what what kind of actual dog he is okay you got to get it right you know these pet parents out here come for you if you don't if you don't if you don't have it all right over there um but thank you both uh all three of you all four as you got you know we got we got to have the pet parents in the house uh for joining the show and i appreciate all the work you all are doing you all are doing some really cool stuff but first uh why don't you tell everybody just a little bit about oregon ask if they haven't heard about Oregon Ask before and, and and what what work you all do and and you know just kind of introduce Oregon Ask to the real steamy community. All 40 of us who have been downloading the, the stuff so far. But uh, we're growing. Yeah, no, no, sure. Uh so Oregon Ask, uh Oregon After School and Summer Network for Kids. We've been around since 2005. Um, what I like to tell people sort of when I describe our work is that we help support and champion after schools and summer programs around the state. Um, so we do that uh, by working through our three P's. We call them our three P's, uh, partnership, policy, professional development. Um, a big part of what we do is just kind of convening programs and other partners. Uh, back when we were able to meet in person, uh, a big part of what we do is we'd meet quarterly with our 
partner committee uh, and even just getting people in the same room together, as, as I'm sure you're aware, Jarvis, sometimes, you know, that's kind of where the magic happens, right? People kind of meet with each other, exchange ideas, exchange uh, sort of what work that they do, and then they run off and do projects on their own. Um, our policy work is, is our educating work. So we educate lawmakers on some of the issues in after school and summer. Um, this year, we also actually did some educating for programs. Um, Bethany actually hosted a series of calls over the summer, uh, you know, with the changing regulations for in-person uh, summer camp and in-person care. Um, it was a lot of information for programs to take on. So, so what Bethany ended up doing was we, she ended up uh, facilitating these calls with the governor's office to help communicate some of that information out. So that's kind of part of what we do. And then uh, we also conduct research and policy briefs and things like that. Uh, and then finally, we do professional development. So we just provide training and curriculum support to programs. Um, you know, sometimes that's as specific as have outlining a specific plan for programs. Sometimes it's just opening up uh, a program for all sorts of uh, partners. And then as part of that, we actually also hold our uh, annual conference that uh, um, in a normal year, we host anywhere between 300 and 400 programs from across the state that all come for a day of professional development in Salem to, to really just kind of up the game and the quality of, of the field. Um, so that's kind of broadly what we do uh, as an organization. Uh, Bethany, feel free to, to jump in if I missed anything. No, I think you got it all in our three P's and uh, and that you did a great job incorporating like what we what we did before and then some of how things have looked a little different. So still trying to convene people and provide connection, but it clearly looks a lot different these days, mostly on the Zoom or online or Google Meets. So trying to keep um, relationships and connection uh, for people so they've got access to resources and one another to really feel like they're supported and they know a little bit about what's going on. Yeah, it definitely looks different right now. And I've noticed that a lot in particular in Oregon, and we've had this situation with uh, with the STEAM partnership is we've, in, in Oregon, everything is so hands-on as far as the connections. People love to meet. They love to, you know, touch each other, hug, uh, see people be in the same room. Um, for for years before this work, I worked for a national nonprofit and I was already doing Zoom and conference calls and, and had to do a ton of that stuff. And then when I started working specifically in Oregon, people wanted to see me and touch me and be in the room with me in this. So now that we're in COVID, you know, everybody's moving to what stuff I was used to, which was a lot of electronic communications. And everybody's like, I don't know what to do. This, this is wild. And we're not used to that in Oregon because I think so much of it is where we're, we're reach out and touch somebody's hand state uh, more so than um, a Zoom state. And when you have such beautiful natural resources. I mean, who wouldn't want to be outside? I mean, I'm, I'm used to meetings being outside and stuff. So uh, I appreciate you all definitely adjusting what you're doing. And we'll actually talk about one of the reports that you came out with about uh, kind of doing business in this, you know, reimagining things in COVID times. Uh, but first, before I finish, I want to make sure that we reset uh, your actual positions. Bethany, you're the operations and outreach manager correct? Or, 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 or yes. is, that, is that one of many titles 
you hoes. I know I'm not in the nonprofit game. You might have about six titles. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's kind of, you know, one of the many. It's mostly um, outreach and communications these days. Um, okay. And, um, but it it's as accurate as it can be, I think, right now. And then, and then Juan, your official title, is, is it officially still the equity coordinator or... Or is that a, is it a different title now? Yeah, officially equity coordinator. But like you said, it, a lot of things just kind of fall into that. I've also just kind of like uh, by default kind of become the tech guy in the office. So anytime <laughs> we do like, you know, um, when we did have our in-person meetings, uh, sometimes like, for example, one of the things that we would have to try to figure out is how to make it accessible to people online. So that actually we did start a little bit of that sort of before we kind of went into COVID trying to be accessible to people around the state. Um, and then, yeah, just kind of have picked it up since. Uh, so what I do is, you know, basically just pull out down some of the recordings from some of our meetings and calls that we have, post them online. Um, in addition to sort of my, my equity coordinator duties. Yeah. And I know that's tough because whenever you're the, you're the tech guy and the tech doesn't work, everybody starts to look at you a little funny. Uh, just like I'm sure you all were looking at me earlier today when our initial system that we we're going to use to record this didn't work. <laughs> They're like, yeah, Jarvis is out here using this fancy stuff and it can't work. Uh, but I, I know how that part is. And uh, just to, to reset all the, the titles and everything, uh, you're actually for, uh, for the East Metro STEAM partnership, you're also one of the co-chairs of the equity committee. Is that Correct. So you're the authority on all things equity. Is that is that fair to say? Uh, I think that, sometimes people say that. Uh, but, right. you know, equity, I like, you know, to kind of think it's, it's really not really about you, but you're centering sort of youth and families and and the people that, that you want to serve. But, yeah, I've been involved now with the East Metro Steam Partnership for for a couple of years. Uh, so last year, one of our former colleagues, Bernard, actually served as the, the co-chair for the equity team. And I, I kind of worked with him closely to help support those efforts as uh, he he facilitated some listening sessions around engaging youth and in, in STEM and STEAM opportunities. Uh, he created a, a self-assessment tool and, and I kind of helped him support him with that. But yeah, I've been involved for a few years. And I think earlier this year, uh, was when I, I kind of made the jump to to co-chair the equity team. All right. And we've appreciated having you. We really have. And, and then Bethany, as well as um, as well as Beth, I'm sure you you all two uh, people get that mixed up. Their executive director's name is is Beth. And so we have to make sure to call Bethany Bethany. Because if you say Beth, that's somebody else. And so I appreciate uh, I appreciate you allowing for for Oregon asked to, to really help us in our, in our equity work as we, as we move forward. So I wanted to make sure I said that before anything else happened. And I wanted to thank Bertram as well, because I know he's put in a lot of work here recently uh, to, to, to really help solidify the office there. And so, and where are you guys based out of? Cause I think uh, Bethy, you're out in Eugene, correct? Yes. Well, I relocated during COVID to Springfield, so Eugene adjacent, yeah. but Lane County, um, born and raised down here. So I had been up in the Portland metro area for a number of years and am excited to be back uh, where my family is with my third little boy. He and the, uh, the whole uh, 
group of them really enjoys being close to cousins and family. So it's nice. And as a Oregon ass representative, I'm this much closer to programs in other places, which has always been um, a great benefit for us being able to actually connect and feel like part of the community. Um, since we serve, you know, people across the state being able to go out and actually in normal times, see programs where right now it's a little, there's a, quite a few less site visits, but just staying connected and being aware of what's going on. So it's really nice. And I've enjoyed relocating down here in the last year. Well, we are glad that you enjoyed down there. Uh, we do tend to give the side eye to folks that are in that uh, Eugene U of O area uh, as a, as a beaver. Uh, we, it's, it's required as part of when you get your degree, you have to kind of swear an oath to, Look at those in, in Eugene, Springfield area, a little different, but we still love you and appreciate you either way. Uh, and, and Juan, uh, your, your location? I'm out in Cornelius, uh, so out maybe about 20, 25 miles west of, of Portland. Um, and then our offices in normal times, again, we keep saying normal times, but in normal times, we'd be working out of uh, Wilsonville uh, to a nice centralish location for for people that are coming from portland or from people that are coming from salem or other parts of the state and that's and that's one thing that I, i've really appreciated about your work is there are many programs i say that masquerade as statewide programs uh you know they they say hey we're a statewide program but they serve portland or we're a statewide program but we serve you know central oregon or southern oregon but you guys really are a statewide program. Uh, you guys make a lot of effort to go to, to all areas of the state and make sure that's represented in your reporting and in your advocacy work. And that's something that, that I appreciate it as sometimes with East County, we get kind of left behind because we're not the ruralist of rural areas and we're not the cityest of city areas or the, the, the metroist of metro areas. So we're not Portland, we're not Salem, we're not Eugene, but we're also not La Grande. And so when you get these kind of two diametrically uh, opposite kind of agendas where, hey, we have to take care of Portland or, hey, we have to take care of the rural areas, uh, we often get left out, uh, whether it's, you know, it's with resources or thinking about diversity. A lot of times people don't realize, hey, we're one of the diverse, most diverse areas. And we also have a lot of inequity and some other things, especially when compared to other areas of the state. And that's one thing that I've appreciated you all done is you really make a concerted effort to address issues across the state and make sure you can impact students in all areas of the state, not just the metro areas. And I think it's also fair to point out that, you know, we are just an intermediate. We're, we're in the middle. So we represent and we hear from and we try and be the voice to or louden the voice of those all across the state but it's really to all of the programs and partners who are at the far reaches of Oregon and who stay connected with us that's what helps us be such an effective statewide organization is that we've got great partners who are willing to share their both struggles and successes that um, help us connect and then be willing to, you know, take up resources and take up opportunities to be virtually present with us as we, we do conversations and, and professional development and work towards, you know, bettering 
access for after school and summer programs. Fantastic. Well, we're going to talk about uh, one of your recent reports uh, that you all did with the uh, with the League of Oregon Cities. And we're going to talk about that here really quick after we come back from our sponsorship break, which uh, coincidentally today's episode of the Real Steamy podcast is sponsored by Oregon Ass. Oregon Ass, whose mission is to support and expand and educate on quality after-school and summer programs for children and youth and families throughout Oregon. What they do is partnership policy and professional development, and you can find information on them as well as their summer activities guide and recent reports on their website at OregonAsk.org. That is OregonAsk.org. Working together, this is after school. So now we're back from that. I wanted to talk about this recent report. You have have a report out called Reimagine Oregon, Improving Youth to Work and Workforce Systems in the Wake of COVID-19. Can you talk about this report a little bit? Yeah, I'm happy to share more. This is really the, the, I would say culmination, but it's not the end by any means, but it started um, several years ago. We've been getting support from a couple of national foundations, um, STEM Next and the Overdeck Family Foundation to really focus our STEM policy work. And since um, 2016, when we started with a a different report that was reflecting on um, Every Student Succeeds Act and looking at ways to incorporate STEM and CTE in um, expanded learning opportunities. Um, it, it got us connected with both like STEM hubs and workforce partnerships. And so we realized, we realized the opportunity to, um, increase connection and systems to support youth in getting more work ready. And so this endeavor, um, included hosting four regional conversations. So trying to get a little bit of spread. We we had a Clackamas County group. We had a Lane County group. We had Southwestern Oregon and then East Cascades, which was from the Washington border down to California, across Central Oregon. So um, we got a good variety, you know, a little of what you spoke to of like kind of on the outskirts of city, not quite rural, um, plus rural. Um, And so the report really gave us an opportunity to hear from local partners on what was working. And that was a fantastic opportunity, right? Because especially during this year, it's kind of challenge after challenge after challenge. And so this was a great opportunity for people to say, well, here's how we've adapted. We've seen these challenges and then we've created something. We've addressed that in a particular way. And so it was really nice to hear from the variety of people on, um, while the challenges are very similar, there was very community unique uh, responses. And so that's what's included in the report. A lot of the content um, is what what was, was working for people. And are there opportunities then to turn that into something bigger and broader? So we want there to not just be one opportunity in a community, but we want there to be systems and structures um, that really make it more equitable for youth to access. No matter where you are, 
you would know how to get connected and that it could lead to somewhere you want to be, right? That there's a pathway. And so the report includes kind of all of that in there, um, what's working, what's not, and what would be our next steps to really address building something better in Oregon when talking about support for youth, particularly in getting them work ready. So. Now you said this was at the end. So, so where in this process are we? And I always like to judge everything in terms of the third phase of the MCU. So, so we're not at end game, you know, uh, we, we, we might not be at, uh, at infinity war. So, so is this kind of like the age of Ultron part of the, uh, of the report? We... You, you could say that we, yeah. um, we take this report as um, the first of like, here's what we heard, and then we want to take this forward. And so, you know, we we got responses, right? We heard from various communities, but we know that that wasn't everyone. So we want to continue the, the opportunity for people to provide feedback. But what we have is something to take forward and really like start pushing what would it look like to support more systematic work. So um, we've, we've got more to come in that there would be hopefully response in to the recommendations that have come out in it. Um, but we know that it's going to be kind of an ever-changing landscape in particular um, as we push it forward. So. Uh, yes, all, you know, it's always important to speak in terms of the MCU. And as you can tell, I am missing it uh, because COVID has robbed me of already having seen Black Widow, which should have been released in April. And now it's setting back the entire MCU and is uh, totally messing me up. But that's besides the point. Uh, I did find interesting there. There was a couple of some, some key learnings that came as, as a piece of this. Uh, uh, really around the career and technical education and work-based learning, and then uh, proactive work supports and wraparound services, and then business partners who can kind of help solve uh, and be a part, not just participate. And, you know, I really go back to the old old, uh, African proverb, it takes a village to raise a child. And I think one thing that's really evident about what your report says is, is that to, we can't just think about after school or even CDE job training or STEM as their own kind of separate things. It really takes all of us to be a part. And sometimes we say it takes all of us to absolve other people of responsibility. But I think your report really shows that all of us are responsible for, for providing the, the, the systems for youth to be engaged from high school through the time when they're becoming employed. Would that be a fair, uh, a fair assessment to attach to this report? I think so. I, uh, you know, I think that we, we kind of know that sometimes the system don't necessarily serve youth very well, sort of during those transitions, right? We think of kids making the transition from elementary to middle, middle to high school. And I think that this was kind of, uh, sort of, we know that, but then I think this kind of report really highlighted the need to really think about sort of, uh, 
sort of the pathways for, for a child or even a person to just kind of be much more holistic and see that these things are really all sort of interconnected. It's, it's not sort of, you know, you, you know, you're in school and then you graduate and you go off to a job. We really need to be providing and presenting some of these opportunities for kids as they're sort of in school and learning to be able to sort of see some of these pathways forward. Uh, I'll tell you for, uh, uh, for, for one of the conversations that I was involved in, I think this was in the East Cascades uh, region of the state, um, there was this uh, uh, internship program uh, that was actually uh, ran by the OSU extensions out there. So um, the, this, this gentleman ran the program and, and he obviously worked with university students to, to place him in internship programs, but rather than just kind of send them on their way, his job was actually a lot of it was just to kind of coach the students as they were, you know, working with some of these other businesses. Uh, but, you know, helping the students kind of create their plan, uh, plans of action, helping them to support while they're actually doing the, the work within the, uh, within the internship. Um, and I think that that's sometimes something that kind of, that, that, that's missing a little bit, right? We just kind of expect kids to, uh, to just kind of show up, kind of do their work. Uh, but, even like learning how to do the work. And I can actually speak from this, from my own experience, like sometimes like even just like the, the, just the regular things that, that we kind of take for granted, you know, the, you know, showing up and being professional and, you know, facilitating meetings and sending out emails and stuff. These are all things that I think that sometimes kind of fall by the wayside because I think people just kind of expect to just kind of be thrown out into the wilderness, but no, there's this understanding that, especially young people that are sort of entering the workforce, they kind of need the support to help develop these skills. And I think that that's kind of one example of, of, of not necessarily thinking of it as, you know, somebody else's problem, or once you've kind of gone on uh, to into the real world, quote unquote, that, that you're kind of left to your own devices, but that there's those supports for you. Um, like I said, for this example of doing an internship, that you have that added support from the school uh, and from 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 the staff member to kind of help you navigate the, this this new world. Man, I think that's one thing we don't talk about as much is the culture of jobs. And there's a lot of young people. Well, there's a lot of jobs in particular that just have an issue with multi generations in the workplace. Is, is and of course, it's easy to blame the young people. Because they're the uh, you know the the was a the lifo type of theory from economics you know last in first out so it's easy to blame the young people and say you know get off my lawn they don't know how to do x y or z but we're also not teaching older folks how to be in the workplace with younger people so I, I, I like how you also put in the report that it's also on the businesses to be engaged in the process, not just as an advisor to sit on a board and say, hey, you young people need to do X, Y, and Z, but to really be engaged in the process so students uh, can feel what it's like to be engaged and the businesses can feel what it's like to have young people engaged. Uh, I thought that was a really good piece. And we see Bertram hanging out again. We love Bertram. That's, 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 that, that's my new buddy right now. And um, I would say that a piece of that, um, the business as being part of the solution 
um, we, we did have business partners at the table and that was something that they were actually championing, championing the most is that they have seen it. It doesn't do us any good to sit by, sit by on the sidelines. You know, they have ideas, but they also want to see the work done. And so it is critically important to them to feel um, invested and responsive and to be doing something that's making a difference. And so I thought that was just a really good um, piece of that, of that puzzle that came out is that it wasn't, you know, the education saying we need business to show up. It was, it was business that was there saying we, we can be part of the solution when given a chance. Some of us are, we just need more peers alongside. So. Yeah. Sometimes in these conversations and I hate to take it back to Marvel, but I feel that most things in life can be, uh, can be described in some sort of Marvel uh, universe. But it's often in some of these meetings, and I've been in those. We have to we do this a lot with the with the Steam partnership. Is that you 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 get that popular meme of the two Spider Mans that are pointing at each other? Uh, you get that a lot with people saying, you know, you get the educators who say the businesses need to be more involved. You get the businesses who say, well, education you need to give us students that are that are doing right. Everybody's pointing at each other instead of coming to the table thinking about. Solutions. I do have one thing that I want to bring up after we go back and do a quick sponsor read. Again, today's episode of the Real Steamy Podcast is brought to you by Oregon Ask, which is Oregon after school and summer network, uh, summer and summer for kids network. Let me go back. Oregon Ask, Oregon after school and summer for kids network whose mission is to support and expand and educate on quality after-school and summer programs for children and youth and families in Oregon. You can visit their website at OregonAsk.org. They provide partnerships, policy, as well as professional development. You can go on their website to see the Summer Activities Guide. You can see the Lights on After School Town Hall. You are able to see the youth line, Youth Crisis Helpline, and you're able to see uh, after school and family support as well, as well as all their policy positions and recent reports that we are discussing in today's episode. That is, again, Oregon Ask. Visit them at OregonAsk.org. As we're back, I do want to, there's one piece of this report that I found uh, very interesting. I mean, I found the whole report interesting. I think it's remarkable. Uh, but one thing is when you do research and you do some policy things, uh, I always appreciate when people publish some things that may be uncomfortable uh, for folks, even in their network, to hear. And there's one piece uh, of this that I found really interesting, which talks about apprenticeships, uh, looking at non-traditional sectors and occupations, Uh, But I'll quote this piece is that participants noted that a built-in bias toward four-year college degrees within the K-12 system and among parents and policymakers poses a major challenge in advancing more diverse and widely employed work-based learning strategies. 
many also advocated for consistent and repeated exposure to work-connected learning prior to high school to boost young people's confidence, build their networks, and inform their choices. Uh, I've heard that a lot from, from, from folks that, uh, and, and I think part of it is some of the messaging that as a state, uh, Oregon has done, um, and we've seen that with the Oregon Promise and some other things, in that we are, we want kids to be able to go to college and we want them to do so, so much that we're telling them that going to a four-year college is the only way instead of instilling them that it is a way for them to do. Could you, could you speak to uh, those comments that you got from folks uh, talking about how we're just constantly pushing uh, the four-year college? And there's nothing wrong with four-year college. I think it's fantastic. I myself went to a four-year college. I went more than that. I went to a six-year college. Matter of fact, I'm even more than that. I'm working on a, a doctorate. So it is uh, it is even further. So I'll, I'll first tap it to uh, to Bethany and then Juan can, can fill back in. But any thoughts about that one in particular uh, that that came up? I was, uh, like I said, I would respect those things because you have colleges as a piece of, of your network and things like that. So sometimes people think all these reports are kind of puff pieces that go align with everything you're already doing. But uh, I think in this particular part of this report, you really challenged that notion that, hey, wait a second, we're not looking at uh, apprentices Apprenticeships. We're not looking at alternative work sources. We're not looking at some of those other things. We're only saying that you have to go uh, to a four-year college. Yeah, and I think this is part of um, some momentum across the state over the last couple of years with um, CTE, career technical education, coming back um, strongly with some some state funding in the last couple of years that there's been a huge interest in completing that, that cycle, right? Is that you, you build career and technical programs in a high school, but they may not go somewhere else. And so having um, the full spectrum and, um, and in, ensuring that business partners or community, you know, partnerships are in place. And so that it's not just I'm doing a class and then I have to figure out if I need to go get a degree before I go on to this career, but having some better pathways. And, and I think it's just what we have continued to hear from workforce partners in several of these locations was there are some really great programs who are doing that, but it's not statewide and it's not an investment that's made um, in, in a big way. And so there needs to be more, um, bang behind the, the voice that says we want apprenticeships and, and there needs to be some better supports provided for that. Um, I think it's also, like you said, in trying to encourage and provide that opportunity for any and every Oregonian to go on to something post-secondary, it, it has turned into a post-secondary is the place for you to go and here's what it could or should look like. And I, and I think that we're getting better at it. It's just a system that's really ingrained, right? Is that there's um, people who have been trying to support this 
success as they see it and that success is broadening. And as the equity and um, social justice issues across the state and country are coming to rise, that we see that one what fits for one doesn't fit for all and that we need to be a lot more inclusive and responsive in building systems that support um, some of our most historically and currently underserved youth and communities. And so I think that was an important piece for us to include, um, recognizing that the systems as they are, are, are clearly not working for everyone. And these are some, some programs or pilots or incubators or whatever it might be that are working in some places and we need to see more of them was what we heard. Yeah. And I think that that's, that's really what it's about. It's, it's really just about being responsive to, to the needs of young people uh, and to, to acknowledge that this one size approach doesn't necessarily work for everyone. Right. Um, I remember a couple of years ago, we actually did an event down in uh, C-Tech down in Salem. Uh, it's a career technical education high school where uh, kids apply to get in. And that high school has a lot of hands-on training for like, you know, hair salons, uh, barbershops. I think they have a drone program. Um, I want to say that they do mechanic and, and construction and welding. And they actually also have a film program. I do remember because they had a, a pretty neat little uh, green room or the room with the green screens and all that where they did a lot of work. Um, but I remember that well, during that event, we had a couple of kids uh, from the school kind of speak about their experience. Uh, and I remember having a kind of a side conversation with one of the teachers that attended. And she mentioned to me that one of the kids that was speaking uh, actually used to be a student at one of her traditional high schools in, in the Salem-Kaiser School District. And she mentioned to me that he was completely unrecognizable from the student that she had in her classroom who was now part of this career in technical education high school. I think he was in the, I want to say he might have been in the construction program uh, or something like that. And I think that just kind of speaks to re being responsive, right? That not everybody is kind of uh, sort of interested in, in kind of pursuing that traditional kind of four-year college pathway, or they're not interested in doing kind of traditional schoolwork, um, they, a lot of kids sort of uh, thrive in that more hands-on approach where they're working on things that actually interest them uh, and where they can kind of see, you know, whatever work that they're doing in school can actually lead to an opportunity post high school to a career. Um, and I think I, I kind of think about it in that, those terms as it's really just about being responsive to, to kids and acknowledging that they are all different. They all have different interests, different needs, um, and just making sure that we have those opportunities in place where, you know, that they can kind of uh, develop and hone those interests, but then also have those opportunities to thrive uh, post high school. Yeah, and I think... Uh... I think that's one thing that is that is really evident around privilege is options. Privilege gives you options. And oftentimes a lot of those students who don't have uh, who, who are underrepresented often don't have the privilege of options. And I think that's what's really evident in your report is how can we give students options? And what you were just really speaking to uh, just a few moments ago, Juan, was really uh, something which I appreciated that the International Society for Technology and Education uh, put out, and they aren't the first ones to do this, but 
uh, they, they put out some information around student-centered learning uh, and where the student-centered learning moves students from passive receivers of information to active participants in their own discovery process. And what students learn and how they learn it and how they're assessed are all driven by students, by the individual students' needs and abilities. And uh, you can find more information on that for anybody if you just go to iste.org slash standards slash essential conditions slash student-centered learning. You can find some information on that. And I think that's why we, we really like to push STEM and STEAM education is because a lot of times when we get students involved in STEM, what we're doing is we're, we're, we're activating that wonder center of their brain and asking them, what is it that you want to do? And then let's show you how to go about doing that. And far too often, especially with students of color, uh, you'll get, you know, the student will have a dream and people say, well, you can't do that. You, know, you can't be a, a, a rapper. So don't be creative in any way. Instead of saying, okay, you want to be a rapper? Let's teach you audio production as a piece of that. Where, hey, they might not be a rapper, but, but maybe they have a career as an audio engineer. You know, we tell that, oh, oh you can't be a basketball player. Only, only 0.05% of people make it to the NBA. Instead of saying that, we, we could be talking to them, hey, how do you learn about sports medicine? Hey, how do you learn about nutrition? How do you learn about the science of, of sports? And we have opportunities within that to be able to build some CTE stuff around that and using STEM education to, to talk students through and get them better engaged and develop more direct plans for students as they go from uh, kind of their initial development in, in grade school and middle school to start to look for their life plan as they develop in high school. And I, I think having that student-centered approach, we would see more opportunities to engage with either CTE directly, with apprenticeship programs, we can start showing students the pathways to get to where they want to get. But we, we have to get out of this mindset of we're going to tell the students that you have to follow this path versus providing students with multiple paths and letting them, uh, as some of my favorite books were growing up, choose your own adventure and support them in that process. And I think that's why we push the equity piece is because what we're finding so often is that those most disadvantaged students aren't provided those multiple paths. You know, they sit them down and say, you have to do this, and then make them do whatever that is, instead of saying, what, what, what's your passion? How can we support you in that development? Uh, and I appreciate your work, Juan, on our equity team, because we've been really asking that question of what are the barriers that are stopping our students from being able to achieve the paths that they want to achieve. Yeah, and I think a lot of it just kind of falls in into that uh, sort of what you mentioned is that the pathways aren't necessarily uh, there or presented to them in in a way that that that's really responsive to them. Um, just kind of like as a personal aside, like I um, 
I had like a passive interest in in tech and technology. Like when I was a, a kid, I like in middle school, I took a couple of computer classes that introduced me to like some basic coding and stuff. Um, but soon after, like it's just you know, I, I just had no clear idea as to what kind of career that might look like because I you know didn't know anyone that worked in that field. I didn't know anyone that graduated from college. Um, so I just kind of quickly decided, well, not quickly decided, it was more subconscious. It's like, that's not really something for me, right? And it's only actually in this job that I think I've been kind of introduced to that, um, reintroduced to that interest in that uh, it's uh, it's kind of like making it relevant to the kids, right? And that's actually what I found in this job is that a lot of my interest actually has stemmed from uh, being interested in, but then seeing sort of how these solutions can be relevant to, to our work and to our lives. Like to give you an example, like we worked with a lot of GIS mapping over the last couple of years. Um, and, and for those that aren't familiar, GIS mapping is, is basically just, you know, um, taking maps, putting information on them, and then viewing them through a diff few different lenses. So for example, for uh, a report that we released a couple of years ago, we mapped uh, all of the different after-school programs around the state um, and we ran some analysis, some demographic analysis to try to figure out a little bit more about sort of the makeup of these communities, where these programs were located, and maybe to understand a little bit better picture about where these programs were not located, right? So we uh, ran figures on, you know, uh, race and ethnicity makeup of community, median household income, poverty rate, unemployment rate, all those, these different things to kind of look through a lens uh, to see who had access to these opportunities and who didn't. And, and that's all just to say that, you know, I probably would not have been as interested in this had someone just kind of, you know, presented this thing to me and it would have been just like some far off thing where right? I kind of saw the, the value in it for us in trying to understand and how to further our work, right? How can we sort of further and elevate this conversation around opportunity and who has opportunity? Um, and I saw it a little bit over the summer when we uh, we worked with some interns and we have a couple of high school uh, students that, that work with us at our organization. And it's the same thing. It's, you know, they learned this software as well. And it wasn't just, you know, they were in class and they were learning this thing, but they actually saw how directly it was applicable to what they were doing in their work. And I think that sometimes that, especially in our communities, uh, I'll say my community, uh, communities of color, that that's sometimes overlooked and we, we fail to make it relevant or, or to, to, to really kind of show these kids sort of what these opportunities can p potentially mean for, for their lives. We're going to follow up on that real quick. Just do the, the last quick table read. We are, uh, once again, uh, this episode of The Real Steamy is brought to you by Oregon Asks. That's Oregon After School and Summer for Kids Network. They are an organization whose mission is to support, expand, and educate on quality after-school and summer programs for children, youth, and families throughout Oregon. They provide partnerships, policy, as well as professional development. You're welcome to visit their website to hear this report and others, as well as a variety of great information, training opportunities, and involvement, as well as other resources by visiting OregonAsk.org. And uh, just want to follow up anybody's interested in other GIS stuff. Uh, we have some stuff on our website uh, where we where we did some resource mapping and we did some GIS tools. So if you go to 
Uh, if you go to our website, you'll find that Oregon Metro has done some equity mapping. So they've done some work around uh, making an equity map, as well as uh, one thing that got me involved in a little bit of some GIS stuff is the Opportunity Atlas that Roz Chetty of, of Harvard University provided some really interesting analysis around economic mobility. Uh, if you look up the opportunityatlas.org, you're able to see a little bit of that. So, but before we, we head out, I just want to talk a little bit about that we kind of alluded to as some of your personal journeys. What uh, what brought you to this to this work? You know, what what made you say that I want to be a part of the cool folks that do policy and and research and convenings and and some of the fun scenes that are that are behind the scenes. It's not always uh, cool and sexy to talk about research. I love it because that's my my kind of deal. But what 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 brought you each to this point? You know, Juan, you want to be the tech guy, but now you're here hanging out with me talking about equity and inclusion and some of those things. What 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 brought you to this to this line in your career journey? Um, for me, I think it it uh, it really just kind of started with a desire to to vaguely wanting to get involved in education somehow because education played such an important part in my life. Um, some of what I alluded to there is just like I, you know, was not always the best and most engaged student in high school, it's fair to say. Um, and that's the case for me and a lot of my friends that I grew up with. Um, somewhere something kind of clicked in me and and I actually started sort of applying myself and, and really, you know, giving it 100% whenever I was in school. And I ended up going to community college, doing really well there and then going on to a four year college and then doing really well there. And I think that my you're not going to shut out your alma maters at all. You're not going to PCC. PCC is one. Uh, I spent a semester at Chapman University in Orange County, uh, a small little liberal arts school uh, in Orange, Orange, California. Uh, And then before moving on to uh, USC in Los Angeles. So uh, fight on. Go Trojans. Uh, And I graduated from there. Big, big, big win this past week. Yes, we did. That, surprisingly, we ended up with a 5-0 and record. I don't know how we did that, but hey, we'll take it. Any way we can get it, we'll take it. Um, but yes, big win this week and, and surprisingly good season. Um, but yeah, I went there uh, and like I said, re- ended up doing well there. And to me, sort of when I, uh, like I said, when I started kind of getting interested in doing this uh, or getting into education was to really help, you know, kids like myself, kids that I grew up with really, uh, you know, like I said, open up these paths and these possibilities for, for kids um, like myself. And that was kind of the interest. Um, I had no idea what I was getting myself into. Like if, you know, I couldn't have told you what, you know, that my job would look like how it does now. Like I just, like I said, for me, it just kind of starts with wanting to present those opportunities for, for kids like myself. And Bethany. Yeah. For me, I have always, um, I've always wanted to work with kids. I've loved, uh, I'm great. I mean, thank goodness I've got my own also. Um, but I, I started in early childhood education down here at Lane Community College, Hala. That was a great program. And um, then I, I worked for a bit until I finished my um, undergrad in social work. And I realized that a little bit bigger scale was something that interested me besides just being in a preschool with kids um, 
every day, I thought there could be things that we do better to support youth on a bigger scale. And so after I finished my um, undergrad at a small school up in Washington called Trinity Lutheran College, I, um, I ended up getting connected with Oregon Ask and I did a year as a VISTA. So I was a volunteer in service to America and I got to work directly with programs. And so I worked with 21st century programs. They have federal funding to support low-income communities. And I saw what that investment could do for communities and for kids. Like it, it was just a huge difference in the lives of these kids that had somewhere to go every day. And they had opportunities to get excited and explore and see their friends. And I wanted to continue that. I wanted to see it grow. I wanted to see more kids have access and choices, right? You mentioned that having the choice to choose between even. Um, and so I, I continued with Oregon Ask and I was able to connect um, to help lead the Oregon Girls Collaborative. So we became uh, um, the convening organization to support girls in STEM oppor- um, opportunities. And as I was never a really big STEMI person, right? I, I liked working with kids, but we didn't do a whole lot of science projects. Um, I, I saw all of the opportunities that people weren't able to access and that it wasn't always an, a welcoming place. It wasn't inclusive someplace for a lot of people. And I was intimidated right in that field, in that room where I'm not an expert. And I realized that's what every kid who doesn't know what they're doing feels like when they walk into a space for something new. And so I just saw the opportunity to be able to do a better job building spaces where kids could grow and explore and experience something that was relevant to them, that they could see an opportunity for their future. And even if it wasn't maybe that big, just learning a new skill, having fun, and I thought, I want to I want to do more of this. I want there to be more opportunities. And I want it to, to make a better Oregon, right? Like, I want there to be opportunities for my kids. And I want them to support a space where everybody has an opportunity, a choice, uh, a good experience. So that is what my windy path has brought me here. And um, I'm excited and continue to be grateful that I get to be involved in a statewide organization that supports um, so many people who are, you know, working with kids every day, especially during like these horrifically hard times. So I'm glad to be here and to continue to see how Oregon is growing and um, supporting, you know, whether it be career technical education or summer opportunities or with the student success act that's just a more broadly equitable focused. Um, I think that there's a lot of of hope I see for us building better systems Um, and I'm looking forward to being part of it. Well, well, thank you very much. I mean, I I can't really follow that. So what we're going to do is I'm going to give both of you a big round of applause. Thank you so much, not just for being with us today, but for your continued partnership uh, with these Metro STEAM and just really 
for you for your career journey, for you being a part for everything that you've given. We really appreciate it. We're giving you a big round of applause. The report is called Reimagine Oregon, Improving Youth to Work and Workforce Systems in the Wake of COVID-19. You can see the report as well as recommendations on their website, OregonAsk.org. You can also come and hang out with us at the East Metro STEAM Partnership. If you want to hang out in the Equity Committee, uh, Juan is chairing that so you can hang out with, with him as, as we continue to work on equity issues and digital inclusion and a variety of, of, of matters here in East County. Uh, I want to thank everyone at Oregon Ask. I want to thank the audience. I want to thank Bertram for hanging out with us uh, as well. And want to thank everybody for listening today. This has been another wonderful episode of the Real Steamy Podcast. And until next time, make sure that you keep it real steamy.